When was the last time you shouted? Uh, Maybe you shouted in anger. Maybe at your parent or your child, that other driver on the road, or, or maybe at the umpire at the footy. Not that I'm endorsing these things. Maybe you shouted for help. But what I'm actually thinking about, what I'm thinking of is rather, when was the last time you shouted in joy? Maybe your team kicked a goal or maybe you won the game. Maybe you got a good mark on that exam, that result at work. Back in July, in Psalm 95, we were told to shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. And that shout joyfully, as we looked at that then, it can actually mean loud singing. When was the last time you shouted out praise to God? Or sung to your Savior and King so loudly your neighbors next door could hear you? For that's what we see happening today. We see, and as we see people praising Jesus, I hope that we will be inspired to do that too. It was April when we were last in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 20, and now up until early December we'll be looking at chapters 21 to 25. What happened in chapter 20? You might like to turn back to that. In verses 18 and 19, Jesus had predicted again his suffering, his death, his resurrection. He told his disciples that authority is about service. And in verse 28, that Jesus himself came to serve. And he'd serve ultimately by giving his life as a ransom for many to save many. And now it is the week before his death. It is the last Sunday before he will die on the cross. And he enters Jerusalem. And my first point is, the coming of the king. My first of four points today, which are structured around four Old Testament scriptures or prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is with his 12 disciples and others, including the two recently healed blind men right at the end of the last chapter, a group are following him. They approach Jerusalem where Jesus had said repeatedly that he would die on the cross. He would die and rise. He's been to this city before. This will be the last time. And this Sunday would come to be called Palm Sunday. All four Gospels have an account of Jesus' triumphant entry to Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, look at verse 2. He tells two disciples to go and bring a donkey and her foal or or colt. And if they're asked about this, they're simply to say the Lord needs them. We don't know whether Jesus had arranged this earlier or whether Jesus just knew the future and what was needed in that moment. But I suggest to you that for the one who is Lord and God, such divine knowledge, if you knew the future, would be no problem. The disciples do as they're asked. They bring the donkey and her colt. And verse 7 says Jesus is sitting on them. It's not saying he's sitting on the two animals at once, but he's sitting on the clothes that are on them. Mark Luke and John's Gospels all speak, though, of one animal. Matthew mentions two. It's not that they're contradicting each other, but it's likely because Jesus mostly rode on the the colt, as John 12 verse 14 tells us. 
But Matthew mentions two to make clear that Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. He quotes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. But actually he quotes from the Greek translation of that, uh, and it's slightly different from what you see on the screen. The, the Greek translation of that verse, it speaks of Israel's king coming to Jerusalem on a donkey and on a colt or a young donkey. This is a messianic prophecy, prophecy about God's promised king and rescuer coming into Jerusalem and entering not on a war horse, but on a donkey. In 1 Kings chapter 1, King David is old and he actually arranges for his son Solomon to be paraded through the city streets on a donkey or or a mule, half, half donkey. It was a time of peace. David was announcing that his son Solomon was the next rightful king. Jesus in this act is announcing that he is the rightful king. And he's a king of peace. Isaiah 9 describes him as the prince of peace. Who rides on a, this is the king who rides on a lowly animal. So can you see that Jesus is great yet he's humble, he's exalted and yet is lowly. Back in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus had said, I am lowly and humble in heart. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. He's the Messiah. He is the king. But but he's not the king who's winning armies, winning through armies and battles and war against the Romans. No, he's a king who'll lay down his life to serve and save, to save us from the judgment that we deserve. He'll lay down his life to bring peace, enable peace between God and humanity. In the 1860s, a Presbyterian missionary called John Patton is in his 40s. That's a photo from when he's much older. He's in his 40s. He's serving in the New Hebrides called Vanuatu today. In his autobiography, he tells of a time when he's on the island of Tanna and local tribes are preparing for war and, and fear sat on every face. Patton and his team are at the center and you've got one group who wants to kill them. Uh, one group wants to kill them and the other tri- is wanting to drive uh, the enemies away and the the enemies are actually wanting to not only kick out the missionaries but bring up old grievances between these tribes. And then a great inland chief, Ian, his name is, he rose in wrath and said, on whose land does the missy, that's the missionary, on whose land does the missionary live? Is it yours or ours? Who fights against the worship and all good? Who are the thieves and the murderers? Who tells lies? Is it you or we? We wish for peace. You wish for war. You will have us war. And the land that Missy lives on was stolen by you. And meeting after meeting happened between these two tribes with angry speeches and many threats. And then Patton was brought to the next meeting and he was asked to speak. The chief said, just say the word and the muskets of my men will sweep all opposition away. Patton, John Patton replied, I love you all alike. I'm here to teach you how to turn away from wickedness and to worship and serve Jehovah. 
and to live in peace. How can I approve of any person being killed for me or for the worship? My God would be angry at me and punish me if I did. The chief Ian replied, then you'll be murdered and the worship will be destroyed. Patton writes, I stood in the middle of them and cried. You may shoot or murder me, but I am your best friend and I am not afraid to die. You will only send me sooner to my Jehovah God who I love and my serve and to to my dear Savior Jesus Christ who died for me and you and who sent me here to tell you of his love. If you will only love him and serve him, you will be happy. Patton turned to leave. The chief thought he'd be killed. And then two men from the other side, the other tribe said, Missy's word is good. Let us all obey it. Let us all worship. Patton was allowed to live on his land in peace. And those two men went and brought food and a peace offering to the chief who accepted it. You see, John Patton helped two tribes make peace in Vanuatu. He actually also helped them find peace with God. But bigger than that, better than what he did, is what our Lord Jesus did. See, Christ died to be the peace offering, the sacrifice who would enable us to get peace with God. Our sin separates us from God. And our sin makes us God's enemies. We and all people the world over, we are sinners who need peace with God. And Jesus is the mediator and the sacrifice who brings peace, lasting peace. And so for us, for sinners, Jesus came into Jerusalem. For us, Jesus came into Jerusalem where he would be arrested crucified, buried, and then be raised from the dead. Jesus has come. He's laid down his life to bear the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven and be reconciled to God. That is for every person who trusts in him. I ask, have you found peace with God? Peace with God through trusting in the Prince of Peace, Jesus. It's the only way to find it. And if you have, if you know you have peace with God, I ask, are you a peacemaker? In your home, in your family, in your relationships, in your workplace, are you a peacemaker? Gentle, humble, seeking peace like John Patton did? Or are you causing anger and hurt and divisions? And so I ask, are your actions and your words, are they drawing people to God like Patton's did? Or is your behavior and your words driving people away? Point two is praising the king. Jesus rides the young donkey into Jerusalem and notice what happens. A very large crowd... A great multitude, they spread their clothes on the road, verse 8. It's like a red carpet for royalty, but this is like a cloak carpet. And others are cutting down and laying down palm branches or tree branches. John 12 tells us that they're mostly palm branches. 
And so the, the crowds behind Jesus and in front of him are all shouting, aren't they? Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like the two blind men in chapter 20, verse 31, these masses of people are shouting to Jesus, calling him the son of David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised King David that one of his descendants, one of his sons, would rule over God's kingdom forever. And so son of David has become a a messianic title, a, a way of referring to the promised king. So here the people are praising Jesus as king. He's the one who's come from God and has been blessed by God. Now the word Hosanna had come, had become an expression of praise. But literally, it's the words for a prayer. Uh, in the Hebrew, it means help, I pray, or save, I pray. And that's the, the word is used in Psalm 118, verse 25, that was read earlier. Lord, save us. It is ironic, though, that the Jews praise Jesus as the king. In verse 10, the whole city is in uproar. It seems they're likely thinking that and hoping that he's the one who's going to save us from our enemies, the Romans. But what Jesus will actually do is save them from their sin. So he's actually not the king that they or most people want. He's not the saviour and king that most people want. Because in a matter of days, the crowds will see Jesus arrested beaten, tied, and on trial before the Roman governor Pilate. And remember what the crowds will shout then? Crucify him. Crucify him. And so the crowds don't accept Jesus as he is. I ask, do you? Have you cried out for Jesus to save you from the judgment that that you deserve, that we deserve for rejecting God's rule. And if if Christ died to save you, then do you praise him for that? He's more than a prophet. In verse 11, that's what the people are thinking. More than a prophet who speaks words from God. He is the one who came from God. The one who is himself God. And he came to bring us back into relationship with God by dying on a cross. So if I ask if you know that, if you believe that, do you praise God? Will you praise him? Will you praise this Jesus? And if you say yes, my question is how? When? And maybe you say, yes, Clinton, I, I, I say I praise God in my prayers or in my singing. I ask, do you mean it? Is it real? And so should you, should you sing this praise or proclaim it? Should you say it out loud or just inwardly? Should you shout, bow, tremble, or rejoice? Maybe all of that at different times. See, the word of God is a perfect starting point for praise. I urge you to let the truth about God and what he's done sink in. 
how you'll read it every day for that to happen. So you can think about who Christ is and what he's done, what he will do, all by God's grace, so that, Christian, you will be moved to praise, to sing, maybe sometimes to shout. We don't want to be hypocritical in our praise or fake it, but nor do we want to be held back by our feelings or we don't want our lack of feelings to limit us. See, praise comes because Jesus is my saviour and my king, not just when I feel good or happy. So could you even, I ask you, could you even praise him, your saviour, when you speak with non-Christians? This last week, I resigned my Essendon membership, told the club why, due to their treatment of Andrew Thorburn, who was CEO for one day before being forced to resign. Thorburn expressed it like this publicly, he wrote, today it became clear that my personal Christian faith is not tolerated or permitted in the public square and that the media and society's leaders made clear that my Christian faith and my association with the church are unacceptable in, a culture, in our culture if you wish to hold a leadership position in society. I want to suggest to you that there is a clash of gospels going on in our culture. We have a secular gospel, a false religion, which claims that fulfillment and freedom and joy and identity, that it will be found in your individual self-expression, especially your sexual self-expression. And so the public religion is sexual freedom. So many people are actually seeking the blessings of the kingdom without the king, without the King Jesus. And so individuals, they want to rule on the throne. And what we have happening in our society is people worshipping themselves. Whereas Andrew Thorburn this week proclaimed, I am a Christian. He shared that he loves all people and has always promoted and lived an inclusive, diverse, respectful and supportive workplace. And yet he also declared, my faith is central to who I am. Since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen profound change in my life and I believe God has made me a better husband, father and friend and a better leader. I suggest to you that Thorburn gave praise to Jesus. I hope that you'll be willing to also. Willing to declare that Jesus is our king. He's the one who gives us true fulfillment and true peace and real change. Please pray for Thorburn. The church is part of City on a Hill in Melbourne. Pray for us. Pray for yourself and one another in your workplaces. Pray for our nation. Next and briefly, we see the passion of the king. Verse 12. Jesus enters the temple and he throws out all those buying and selling. He overturns the tables of the money changers, those selling doves. These 
business dealings were going on in the outer court of the temple, called the court of the Gentiles. The Gentiles court, you'll see that on the left side of the map. That's a map of the temple that King Herod completed in Jerusalem. And so the court of the Gentiles is the only place where non-Jews who worshipped God could enter and come near to God in prayer. And Jesus says in Isaiah 56 that it should have been devoted to that. And yet that space had been turned into a market. You see, to avoid people having to transport their animals on long journeys uh, by foot, people could come to Jerusalem and pay for their animal to sacrifice at the temple. They could buy an animal there. Also, when people wanted or needed to give money to the temple, they couldn't use foreign currency. The money had to be changed into a specific type of money or currency which could be donated to the temple and the priests. And so picture this court that's filled with workers and sellers. Imagine the scene, the noise, the manure the smells that would have filled your eyes, your ears, your nose. Not easy to focus on God there. Jesus also calls the place a den of thieves, quoting Jeremiah 7 verse 11. You see, they'd been robbing the Gentiles of this place to worship God and of the right to worship God. They'd also been ripping people off with greedy overcharging, and it all needed to stop. And so with righteous anger, Jesus stops their business. He kicks them out. He throws out the buyers and the sellers. But interestingly, he welcomes in the blind and the lame. Verse 14, Jesus expels those the authorities permitted, and Jesus permits those who the authorities would have expelled. In this act, Jesus is declaring, demonstrating his authority as king, as God's appointed king. So he has the right to call the temple leaders, Jewish leaders, to account. He makes clear the temple should be, it should have been a place of peace and prayer. You see, here in this act, Jesus is showing his real passion for God, for God's priorities. He's also showing his passion for people, desire to see non-Jews come near to God, be able to pray to God. I wonder if we make the most of our opportunities to pray. Are Are we passionate about what matters to God? Are we passionate about God's priorities? And so your praying matters to Jesus. So I ask, how might you prioritize prayer? Prayer isn't just done when we're sitting down intentionally. Maybe your hands are together and your head is bowed. I suggest to you, could you more often chat with God, even give him a status update like, God, I'm really loving meat pies today or whatever you had for lunch. We might message God when little things come up to share with him, to seek his help at home, at work. Or maybe we need, maybe you need to spend one-on-one quality time, maybe even quantity time in prayer. 
Maybe in your stage of life or circumstances, that's five minutes. Maybe it's 30 minutes. And maybe you even need to plan it into your calendar with a reminder to go off to help you not forget. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, tells us, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Sometimes our phones have no signal. Maybe for you that's this building. Sometimes the internet is down. But can I say that God's always online, always ready to hear you? So pray for a greater passion for what matters to God. Pray for a greater desire to speak to your Father who loves you and has saved you through his Son. Final point is kids praising the king. With those devoted to money-making thrown out, crippled and needy, welcomed in and healed by Jesus, notice what happens next. Verse 15, there's children in the temple shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Heaps of children shouting out praise to Jesus the king. I pictured like a super GSF. Or a huge Colin Buchanan concert. I've been to a few of those. You've probably heard the saying, children should be seen and not heard. Well, not here and not for Jesus. He welcomes children singing his praise, even shouting his praise. We're told the Jewish leaders are indignant, that's angry at all the commotion. I love it that the children are not held back. Even with the grumpy and angry leaders, they don't stop joyfully shouting to Jesus. I think wonderfully young kids are often not held back by others' expectations or peer pressure. Kids can sometimes just speak the truth so openly and honestly in a way that teens or adults can't. I mean, if they want to just shout out praise to Jesus, they do. More than once, I've been at the shops and seen and heard a child singing a Christian Colin Buchanan song loudly, happily, unashamedly in the supermarkets. Jesus is the mighty, mighty king. God made him the boss of everything. Hearing children sing praise to Jesus is wonderful, isn't it? And I think Jesus wants us to learn something from their example. The religious leaders want Jesus to put a stop to it, and he won't. In fact, he says what they're doing is fulfilling Psalm 8, verse 2. That the praise of these little ones is perfect. It's, it's God-inspired. So kids, I ask, how does God want you to praise him? My wife, Kirsty, teaches primary school students at a Christian school. Last term, she told me about when she entered a grade one class and heard a group of grade ones singing praise out loud to Jesus and it brought her to tears. Parents, I asked, do you help your kids or your grandkids, do you help them to praise Jesus by maybe giving up the talk back or smooth FM in your car to put on Christian praise, Colin Buchanan or whoever? Maybe you're a teenager here today and you think, I'm past that. 
But I ask you, teenagers, can't you praise your saviour with your earbuds in and the Christian music on? I ask you, teenagers, do you sing from your hearts praise to your saviour when you're at church? Too often I see lips hardly moving. If you know Jesus has brought you peace with God now and forever, how do you want to respond? How do you want to respond, young people, whether you're communicating online, talking with your friends, your family, or whether you're in your room on your own? Adults, that applies to you too. Do you thank God when something good happens? When you had a good day, you got a good test result, someone was kind to you, or you remember the eternal relationship you have with the living God because of the Saviour Jesus. Do you thank him? Does it matter? Praise Jesus with your words and from your heart, even loudly, and know that it pleases your Saviour and King Jesus. Because of Jesus the King, we can have peace with God now. We can have peace whatever life brings. We can have peace even in death. And whatever age you are, I want you to not think that I'm just I'm going to live till my till my 80s or 90s. True story. In 2013, 19-year-old Zach Young was surfing at Coffs Harbour when a three-meter tiger shark attacked him. His friends tried to fight off the shark. As his friends dragged him to the shore, Zach, a committed Christian, prayed, Please, God, my Lord and Saviour, help protect my friends and help me through this time of need. And then he went unconscious. His 18-year-old friend, Kurt, one of those at the top, said he passed away peacefully, no pain, with his last, last words to me being, I love you, brother. Zach couldn't be revived. He died after ambulance officers arrived. Kurt said he was loving, compassionate, and always happy. I can't remember a time when he wasn't smiling. Zach's brother said, you were loved by so many because you loved so much or too much. Smile so big, it tears through a saddened heart. After his funeral service at church, up to 400 surfers gathered at the beach at Port Macquarie and joined in prayer. Even in death, Zach was trusting in, praying to the Lord who gave him peace. He could die in peace because he had peace with God, because he knew where he was going. I hope that we can all praise the God who, who, through whom we've found peace with. I hope we can all praise God that we have peace with him. And remember that it is the King Jesus who brings that peace and he deserves our trust. He deserves our praise. In life, in sickness, in health, in your life, whether it's for better or worse, 
or richer or poorer. You have a wonderful saviour. We have a wonderful saviour who deserves our praise. So will you praise him? Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that while we were lost and separated from you, deserving judgment, you came to us in Jesus. You sent us a mighty king who would die a wretched death for undeserving people like us. And through our faith and trust in him, we have peace with you, our holy and living and almighty God, and we're blessed more than we know. Even when life is hard, help us to know how much you've done for us and to be able to praise our Saviour Jesus, and you, our Saviour God, in response. Help us to trust in Jesus. And whether it's on our own, with our friends or family, or before our unsaved friends or work colleagues, help us to know that Jesus is always worthy of praise. Help us to trust him and to be bold and to keep finding our identity in him. Lord, we pray these things in his name, Father.